You're listening to the Listing Leaders Podcast, where we aim to educate and entertain on all things listing leaders and Northwest Indiana real estate. In this special episode, we answer all the burning questions one might have if they're considering a career in real estate. I hope you enjoy it. Stick around till the very end. There's lots of great stuff in this episode, and here's how it all went down. Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of the Listing Leaders Podcast. I'm super excited about this episode. It's gonna be a little bit different. We don't have a guest speaker. It's just gonna be the three voices you've been hearing since episode one. I am Brandon Rainwater. I'm joined by Brian Manning and Joshua Wozniak, and it's just gonna be us today. And the topic of this episode is going to be, so you want to be a real estate agent. We're gonna break down the expectations, all the burning questions that you have of what it's really like to be an agent in Northwest Indiana. But we got some stuff we got across before we get there. How are you guys doing? Doing good. How about yourself? Not bad, not bad. Josh, how about yourself? Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing well as well. I'm so glad to hear that. I really enjoyed the the last time we got a chance to sit down and record. We got to sit down with Kevin. It was informative, insightful, entertaining, and uh, just a generally a lot of fun. What did you guys think? Yeah, I thought it was a great episode. Um, I think it was pretty insightful into a really important figure in the listing leaders community. And, I mean, he's obviously a driving force, so it was a good insight. No, well put, Brian. Yeah, it was good. Not a lot of people know that story that worked for him, Mm -hmm. so they got to hear it. And probably not anyone, I imagine nobody even knew he was a tow truck driver. I think that surprised you guys as well. I was going to say, and you're the one who dropped that one on us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or you reminded him of some of his past jobs, yes. which was a tow truck driver. <laughs> yeah, Kevin, he said, how far back do you want to go and which uh, rating of the, yeah. Right. So what, one of the things I really enjoyed about having him on is one that he's very willing to tell his story, which is awesome. I think a lot of people, um, there's a level of transparency and authenticity that comes with uh, listening to somebody tell their story. Um, and also, like, what drives him? I, I, I thought it was fascinating that fear of failure is ultimately what drove him. And, you know, what, look what he's built because of his fear of failure. I wanted to learn from that for sure. What did you guys think? Yeah, I just saw he posted that same thing um, recently, that fear of failure is a powerful motivator. And I'm paraphrasing, but, and that's true. That's uh I mean, and that goes pretty far back. I think even probably animals and plants worry about failing, you know. Right. So. No, that's good. No, and it was definitely a lot to take in, and it's a, a great way to look at why he's so successful. Mm-hmm. And another thing I think that's fun is, um, and I think this is true of all business, not, not all of all businesses, but all businesses that I think you maybe enjoy running, is it happened organically. He didn't go out with the goal of creating a brokerage to dominate our local market. He went out because he owned a children's clothing store and wanted to sell one house a month. And there was this organic need uh, to have you know build the friendships and relationships that he wanted to have. And then that just turned into this unstoppable green machine that we're all a part of right now. And I just think that's a wonderful aspect of the story. Yeah, and what's interesting, too, and that's a tribute to other people, too, that haven't been a a guest yet on the podcast, is an organization of that size, there's a lot of people that are bringing uh, value, and that's what really, Kevin wouldn't be able to do it alone, you know, and and that's not, I'm not trying to take away at all, at at all, 
Um, but there's a lot of good, valuable people in the organization, and that's that's one nice thing about listing leaders, you know. Oh my gosh, and he'll be the first person to tell you that. He'd be the first person to tell. Well, and that's what I'm saying yeah. is he obviously understands how to attract um, talented people who have the mindset that that drives this organization. I love that. I love hearing that. So, like how we start every podcast, we're all three active brokers. Uh, we do this every two weeks. How has everyone's last two weeks been, Brian? Well, it's it's been busy. Uh, I was I actually we had a sidebar conversation. I looking for a house for newlywed couple out in Plymouth, Indiana. Last night I had a hunch to go out there and do it Tuesday night. It's an hour drive from where I'm at. Went out there, we looked at it, and we put an offer in this uh, late last night. Contacted the agent this morning, and like I told you, it was. Ten offers on this house. And ten. Ten. One zero. One zero. And we, I got the call at 4.30 this afternoon that we were accepted because we had a pretty strong offer, you know, real strong. Um, so, yeah, to beat out ten agents, you know, to be one out of, or beat nine agents because I'm, I'm number one on that deal, and I, it feels pretty good. I bet it feels great. So, the, like I said, the, the theme of this episode is so you want to be a real estate agent or you're considering being a real estate agent. Um, I'm getting way ahead of myself, but is one of the greatest things about being a real estate agent calling and giving that news? Yeah, it, that's the best part of, of doing that. I Especially someone that was as hungry as, as they were to get a house and get out of an apartment and start establishing a family to call them up and, and first tell them that, hey, we have 10 offers on this house, so stay put. And then the same conversation, mess with them and say, oh, by the way, I said that in past tense. We have the house. It's our, our house. To, have, to hear them elated on the phone and, and you know, basically popping champagne as I'm speaking, you know, that, that that's a good feeling. <laughs> that's awesome. Is that all that, is that the cult, everything of the last two weeks? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It sounds like a lot, believe yeah. me. That, and you said you've been working a lot too. Yeah. You, the, you know, my sentence at the uh, 30 years over at, on the lakefront. At the lakefront. Yeah, the it's almost lakefront. over. How about you, Josh? How was your two weeks? You know, to segue off of what you just brought up, which was your sentence, the 30 year sentence over at the mill. I was uh, going to say maybe this podcast we should refer to it as the skeleton crew, you know. I think uh, that <laughs> that came to my mind. So my last two weeks um, was good. I don't think that I – I believe within the last two weeks I got an accepted offer. Um, at this point, I don't know if it was three weeks ago. or, But um, it must have been within the last two weeks. I got an accepted offer, and, and that was a good feeling, just like you said. Um, multiple offer situation. We knew that going in. We structured the offer to compete and be the number one offer. We got it accepted. Um, and, you know, that was a real good feeling. Um, but if anybody's familiar with the Sword of Democles, have you guys ever heard of that concept? I have. Um, that, I have the excitement that comes along with real estate, but I, I try to postpone my excitement until, you know, things are complete and closed and certain and the wires have been sent and, you know, deeds have been signed because, um, yeah, so on this deal, some things changed and uh, decided that my buyer decided they didn't want to go through with it anymore, you know, and, and we really were in a situation where we weren't guaranteed to get our earnest money back. Um, so it took, you know, a careful approach knowing that it's a contentious situation to, you know, get it worked out, that we're going to be able to step aside, get our earnest money back, and a backup offer 
um, is going to be used. So, so it's like a roller coaster. Um, I also have had some other pretty exciting developments. Um, but maybe we'll hear from you, Brandon, about how your two weeks. No, uh, one thing I want to just parlay on or, or kind of add to what you just said. What, and, and as it relates again to the theme of this particular episode is a lot of times, you know, it's our job, sure, like Brian, you get to deliver the good news and you want to be joyful and you want to make sure you want to convey that excitement. But at the same time, our clients look to us to be the unemotional ones in the transaction. That's our job. I mean, our, our, our fiduciary responsibility to our clients is to be the one detached from emotion so that we can make the best decisions on their behalf. Absolutely. So I like hearing that, Josh. I mean, it takes an incredible amount of levity to be a really good agent and understanding that even after you get to deliver the good news, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make it to the closing table because things do happen and we do, uh, and real estate is cyclical in nature at best. Yeah, and, and interesting is I think about these things that are somewhat less fortunate or maybe even unfortunate that can happen and I am wondering about how that reflects on my performance. And that's my first instinct. But really upon further thought, upon further consideration, you realize it's a very important quality of a real estate agent to be level-headed throughout all the likelihoods um, of being in real estate, which one of the biggest likelihoods is that things change. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very uncertain territory. So I think being able to handle that is actually a mark of a good agent. And thankfully, my client felt the same way. You know, I checked and, and just made sure that they were, uh, if they had any issues with anything I had done throughout the transaction, and they were actually thrilled with my performance. So, I mean, it was, we were in a, potentially in a pinch, um, and we were able to avoid that. But regardless, they, they thought I did an excellent job, which it speaks to what I'm saying is maybe at first you wonder and doubt, okay, this isn't going to go through now. Is there something I should have done differently? Mm -hmm. But sometimes there's not. I mean, sometimes things aren't going to work out and it's not going to be your fault. And actually you still did a great job, you know? So there's, there's things that are out of your control. I mean, most things, an inspection that comes back with a, a major defect or financing that doesn't come through. There's things that you're never going to be able to control. And, and you just got to kind of navigate that ship through those rough waters when that happens and try to get your client the best deal possible out of that when it happens. Well, I also love that he said that he, he was already still thinking about how he could become better. Right. Well, well, even if it's something that's out of our control, if we still always have that growth mindset of, okay, so this happened, maybe it wasn't in my control. How can I learn from it and still get better? Like I, and I can already tell uh, the reason that your clients um, appreciated you and still thought you did a very good job is because they're going to appreciate your transparency. It's easy to give good news. It's hard as hell to give bad news. But when you can call and you can genuinely give it and from an honest standpoint, like here's where we are, here's what our options are. Sometimes it's not the best. It's not my favorite day when I have to call and tell you this, but you know, I owe you this, you know, this is, this is how we're going to do business. And this is how we're going to ultimately get the house you want on your terms. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's really the job description, essentially, you know, is to serve, like you said, fiduciary responsibility is one of the main components of this job, you know. Absolutely. I mean, you're a representative from a communication standpoint, but you're also, you do have a fiduciary responsibility, you know. No, and I, and I like that, and that, and that matters. So if you're out there wondering 
uh, or considering a career in real estate yourself. And that's the, th those are the ears that we want this particular episode to fall on is the person who's considering real estate as a career, either full-time or part-time. It doesn't matter. Um, you likely have a lot of questions, a lot of concerns, a lot of doubt, and um, we want to bring you value with this particular episode. And what Josh was just alluding to is the fiduciary responsibility that agents have to their clients. Um, it's um, There's a couple different acronyms that we learned there, but it's uh, accounting, um, obedience, loyalty, disclosure, reasonable care, uh, and a few others. But these are ethical guidelines in which we have to abide by during the course of any given transaction. We're ethically bound to do so as agents. Um, but I, I just love hearing that, like you said, you're, you're always looking at a situation to get better. And I also like that, that we're interjecting the disposition that while what you might see on social media or what you might see in print and ad about real estate is the fluffy good wins. And that's what I'd like about this podcast in this particular segment where we can discuss the real nature of being in real estate. Because here's something that I think and I like to teach in my class. Every single deal it feels like at some point in time, right up to closing, wants to derail itself. <laughs> I don't mm -hmm. know how, but um, one of the things that we teach is uh, as brokers, we're said to have earned our commission as soon as the, as soon as the contract is signed. As soon as our purchase agreement is signed is when the law states we earned our commission. Well, I take huge objective to that, objection to that. I feel like that's when my work starts. <laughs> it, I agree. It, it, most of my scrambling is after the acceptance. Absolutely. It, it, it takes a lot of knowledge, experience, and comfortable, comfortability in uncomfortable conversations uh, to get those deals from an accepted offer to the closing table where I truly feel the, the vast majority of an agent worth um, themselves is when they really earned their, their commission. And a lot of it is not really like a technicality, like a, an appraisal or, or an inspection. A lot of it, I find, is dealing with other agents. Sure. And especially, this is no disrespect, but some of the senior agents who, you know, they're getting close to retirement. Mm -hmm. And, oh, my Lord, they're, they're the ones that give me the most fits. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I, the, I've been doing this 30 years, agent? Yeah, and and they look at me and see my my Ganire number, number. And, and oh, you don't know. <laughs> it, this is how it's supposed to be. And they pull out the briefcase of stack of papers, you know, a mile high. Yeah, so I can do the same thing with my cell phone. <laughs> it's true though. It it's true though. And um, w I think one of the things that we appreciate as uh, agents on any side of the transaction is a competent agent on the other side, right? Mm -hmm. That's going to make all the difference in a deal. So kind of taking it full circle um, and talking about the real nature of real estate, I, I had a last two weeks too, which was unique. I'm struggling to get two of my deals to the closing table. Um, the first one, uh, the appraisal came back really low, um, considerably low, low enough that my, my buyers can't afford another one. I believe it to be low enough myself. I paid for the second appraisal myself. Um, we stopped the appraisal from going into underwriting to save the deal. I'm so confident that it was under appraised. Um, I paid for a second one myself and worked a deal with the lender um, who also felt the same way, that if it didn't come back in our favor that we would split the cost of the 
of the. Did the, you get Did you get it back yet? It was It was Monday, and it comes back on Friday. Gotcha. And so on a, a, another thing that you know, just the things that we do to help our clients out that we believe to get a, get them to the closing table. And another thing is, I was talk, talking to you. I literally texted Brian outside of this, as we were talking about a couple episodes back about uh, strengthening our offer. I've actually never used appraisal gap coverage before. And so I texted Brian. I know he had used it successfully. And I was like, Brian, talk, talk me through this. How am I going to, how do I word this in my offer? And I got a really big offer accepted uh, based on our appraisal gap coverage, based on a lot of things we talked about in that episode, what it takes to get your offer done in a multiple deal situation. And just like we're talking about today, the theme seems to be adverse, right? Mm-hmm. Had an inspection come back. Inspection came back with, um, with an issue particular to my client. And we may be asking for a mutual release, having to back out of that deal. Am I okay with that? Yeah. Have I had to have a couple of conversations with him, uncomfortable conversations with him? Of course. Ultimately, I'm there to act on his behalf as his agent, and I'm going to do that. And I want to do that from a reassurance standpoint, where he fully understands there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of people involved in this transaction, but that's also why we have inspections, mm-hmm. you know, to uncover things that might be trigger items for our clients and that's literally what we're you know what we're going to exercise and likely getting out of this particular deal and moving on to the next one because that's the business it's not always linear it's not always straight line yeah and so interesting because again i was just in the last two weeks competing in a multiple offer situation and to refer back to our other episode um which I don't think we touched on escalation clause in that episode. I don't think we did either. But I actually used an escalation clause to get that photo finish, um, and we pulled out ahead. We got it accepted, and by the use of the escalation clause, we saw the redacted second highest offer, and they actually used $7,000 of appraisal gap coverage. Okay. So it really ties right back in. So... I actually warned my client that episode guided my conversation to tell my client what we will probably be competing against and what we will probably have to do to win. And a lot of it was reflected in the second highest offer with the appraisal gap coverage and um, offering over ask and things like that. I love that. And I, you know, I can't take full credit for that. I actually learned that technique from Ryan Midkiff. Okay. And, uh, he, I, I, it's been like the secret sauce. It, the, I, that was what got me uh, this ten offer, that the winner, mm-hmm. the offer, the houses before that that we came in second out of six, and it was the appraisal gap. You know, just to say, hey, if we don't appraise, we're willing to throw this much money in to you know kind of soften the blow, and it's a it's a great tool. So you mentioned you didn't you didn't take credit for that. I like that. If Ryan Midkiff, I bet you if we had Ryan on, he'd tell me he learned it from somebody else. Oh sure. And then next... I, I just it says a lot about your character that we get all these ideas because we operate on an abundance mindset. So it's I'm gonna tell you everything I know. Does it mean that I was that I'm the one who came up with it? No. I just want you to be successful. So here's all the tools somebody taught me. Here I wanna teach them to you. Go out and use them. Use what you like, don't use what you don't like, right? Exactly. I like that. So I'm going to skip the broker tip. I'm going to skip the broker tip, even though I'm literally looking at it outlined in front of me, all the things that we were going to talk about. Why? Because I just don't think it fits the narrative all that well of what we're trying to get across in this particular episode. This episode is for you thinking about 
becoming a real estate agent and what that might look like. And I think that all three of us here are kind of uniquely qualified to talk about that because objectively, we're all new. <laughs> we're all new to this business. Um, I think we all probably likely had preconceived notions as to what it would be like. Um, and then ultimately what happened once we became agents. Now, sure, you could fast forward to us sitting here on a Wednesday afternoon, all, all shooting the breeze on the the fun parts of being real estate and what we can how we can help you to be successful but all of our journeys are unique all of them just like josh said have lots of highs and lows and peaks and valleys and let's have that conversation about what it takes to be in what it takes just to be in real estate to be a real estate agent in northwest indiana and uh what it's like what it's like as a new person in this market in this region I do want to go first just because I am a school owner and I can talk very briefly just about the logistical side of getting you to be an agent fast, right? Indiana just requires 90 hours of pre-licensing education to make you eligible to take the Indiana State Brokers exam. Once you pass a class, either in person or online, you take that Indiana Brokers exam and that makes you eligible to join any brokerage. You can take your license and hang them with any brokerage. Obviously, there's profound uh, questions you need to ask and have answered before you choose to do that, most notably their training and their mentorship program. But like I said, everybody's journey is a little bit unique. Um, I do think we all kind of had what we thought real estate was going to be like versus what it is. And let's start with Josh, because Josh, you, you recently became an agent and now here you are on a podcast and we're talking about your successes and failures. Can you just walk us through your specific journey in real estate and mostly based on your opinions of what you thought it'd be like, what you like about it most, and also maybe what you don't like about it the most. Yeah, that's that's such an interesting question. And the answer is really would have to be really candid because it's a life it almost seems more of a lifestyle. And so it 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 real estate creeps into kind of every moment of your life a little bit. Um, which I actually like. Uh, I like being able. It, what? It's flexible on the hours, but that doesn't mean that you can just choose to not work them. You know, so you might be working late or you might be working early, um, but you got to work and you've also got to do other things. So, um, I really enjoy being a real estate agent because it includes a lot of the different things that I want to take place in my life, which. Um, really maybe first and foremost is interpersonal relationships. Um, I do not really want to have a livelihood that, that isolates me to live a lonely kind of life. I would like to be um, associating myself with people and, and really just making memories and experiences and growing relationships. And so to me, that's one of the strongest invitations to be a broker um, is to be able to build a, and some people interpret it like they maybe are reading too much into it and they think that it's driven by greed, that you only want these relationships with people for money. But that's not, not really it. I mean, every person on earth wants money, but I just want to work my life out to where I'm earning money to have lunch with people that I want to spend time with and go see houses that I probably want to see anyways. And um, so I like all that, and I think 
the bad parts about real estate are just the bad parts about life, you know, which is that you can't rely on most things. I mean, a lot of things are changing and all the time, life's not perfect. And so that's mostly what's reflected. People's imperfections come through in the process. And you're not going to escape that by having a different career, you know. So I was surprised. I think I had this, like, pure vision of what it would be like to be a real estate agent. And like you said, when when as soon as you involve other people, there's this compromise on how things are really going to go. Um, but I like that compromise. I like living in the real world, you know, and dealing with things as they really are. And I feel like real estate is you pretty much have to deal with how things are. You have to deal with how people are. You have to deal with how money is. You just have to be kind of have good bearing on a wide variety of things in order to be a good agent. And I really want to, and you have to have good energy. You have to be, in my opinion, you have to be able to have good energy throughout the day. So that's things I want in general out of life is relationships, energy, um, and to build business. And Those are the intangibles, I think, that are going to make you a good biz- a good agent, naturally having those. I mean, what I'm hearing a lot from you is you wanted the freedom. You wanted the freedom that real estate can give you, right. which, is, which is awesome. Could you speak a little bit about the training you received as a new agent? I think somebody out there considering becoming an agent is probably apprehensive. I know one of the things that scared me the most, having been in sales my whole life, I was scared I'd check a wrong a wrong box in a purchase agreement and cost somebody thousands of dollars. Yeah. That was a silly mental block that I knew I had to get over, but would obviously have done so easily with the proper training. How's your training been since you became an agent? I think it's been good. Um, so I took my class online. Um, I got my license and then contacted listing leaders. And there's been a lot of training available. Um, I think sometimes... I limit myself from learning from other people because I do quite well at figuring things out on my own, um, but that's not always the way to go. So um, I've gotten a lot of good uh, conversations out of my colleagues that have helped me further my understanding about real estate, but I have found really that the catalyst for learning is experience. So I I think that you can have really all the mentorship in the world, but until you are encountering the situations that are going to uh, graduate you from the school of hard knocks, then I don't think, you know, I think that I've had good training and I think my experience is starting to accumulate to where all the mentorship that I have available to me, mm-hmm. I am now asking the right questions, you know? Well played. Um, so yeah, life's not really always about having the right answers but sometimes asking the right questions. So mentorship is where you get the answers. Being a real estate agent is where you get the questions. And the experience. The experience to be able to ask those right questions. Brian, you're going to give us a unique perspective because so many people in this area work at the mill or know somebody who works on, on the lakefront here in Burns Harbor, East Chicago, or Gary. Myself, one of them for a great number of years. Not many as you. And... I think one of the things that people automatically associate with somebody who works in the mill is, well, they must make a lot of money and work all the time. It always seems to be those two things. Make a lot of money and they work all the time. And you're here 
not just out there uh, doing the blue collar work, but also being successful in real estate, proving any one of those naysayers out there that no, it can be done. I'll hold my beer and watch this. Exactly. So what's what's that been like and how have you been able to incorporate training um, being new as well and wanting to see that success and working at the mill? So I had an unfair advantage. I came from the mill. I'm a, a maintenance planner. Yeah. So I've been brokering deals through U.S. Well, I can't say their name. They don't like it when I talk about them on social media. No, they don't. But through that place, I've been brokering deals with contractors, vendors, and, and doing stuff that naturally flowed right into this job. So once I started getting out there after I completed school and got you know my license, it seemed like a natural transition where it was easy for me to to look at something. I have the maintenance I already and say, hey, this is a great place. No, this is this is jacked up. We, we don't want to mess with this house. Let's move on. Uh, but once I got in there and started doing the negotiations and the, and the wheeling and dealing, it felt like like it was doing my other job. You know, mm-hmm. I was able to to uh, negotiate and, and, and you know, uh, broker the deal to get it done. Now, the training, though, I, I relied heavily on Allison when I first got out and, and got out there. Mm-hmm. And I would, anytime I wrote a purchase agreement or a listing agreement, I would be bouncing it off her, emailing it to her, and, and she would proof it for me. And that is a service that she does for all new brokers if they don't know that or not. Yeah. And it's a very great service because she will tell you, hey, line you know, 301, check this box. You know, you need to put that on, on line 78. And and she'll explain it to you if you need to, you know, why why is it that way? Mm-hmm. Plus, that binder is like the holy grail. What binder are you talking about? The listing leader binder that they give new uh, agents. The mentorship binder. The mentorship binder. The one you have to sign an NDA to receive. Yes. The holy grail. The holy grail. It is... Uh, there's so much, I mean, I still pull it out just as reference. Oh my even God, I though, do too, all the time. <laughs> even even as I, I know these answers as I'm flying through it, I will double check that that binder. It's there for your use. Use it, you know. Um, I I can't stand because one of the jobs that I do it in, in the mill is I'm an instructor as well. So I've uh, we, we switched in to Oracle. You were there. And I was a super user. And my job was to go to around different mills and, and show these uh new uh, facilities, the operating system. And I can't stand when, when you give somebody all the information that they can figure it out on their own and they refuse to use it. It's You're wasting my time and yours. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to do that. I would never, you know, they gave me the holy grail. I'm not going to not use it. And um, I'm sure, Josh, you, you got yours, right? I mean, when you signed yeah, up. Yeah, I think I have a, maybe a slightly different binder from um, a licensee. But, you know, what you just said about receiving that binder and then not using it that's such an interesting point because it's like that's really what mentorship is i think you kind of have to be accepting of mentorship in order you have to be a good student in order in order to really benefit from having a good teacher you have to be a good student you've taught students so you and i know when i'm saying this is is you know that you give everybody the same book and and there's gonna be some that read it and use it, and then there's going to be the ones that flunk out so because they ask, didn't even open it. Let me ask you this. I want to switch gears. Because you work full-time plus at a job us in this region know all too well, uh, John and Sally Davis are driving in the car right now, and they're listening to you talk, and 
John works at the mill and he's thinking about, man, I want to get in, I want to get into real estate. That sounds like a lot of fun, but it also sounds like it would dominate all my time. Um, I'm not sure if it's right for me. Um, if somebody's anybody doesn't matter where they work, um, and they're considering real estate as a part-time, like what kind of advice would you give them? Like what kind of person maybe do they naturally be, need to be to see, to be successful? Um, your advice in general as somebody who so, works full-time and still sees success in real estate. So you you have to be a go-getter. You you can't just sit back and let life come to you. You got to go out and get it. So if if you're the guy who sits in a shanty and doesn't want to do anything all day and, and coast by and go home, you know, it's not going to work because you have to go out and you have to work. What I would recommend is make that sacrifice Go to the attend the class, whatever school that you decide to go to, go to that school, go get your license, and then from there, you can dictate your schedule. So if you're working straight through the 11s, you can be working uh, the daytime, you know, with with your brokerage. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, there are Tuesdays and Thursdays are training days. You can you can get in there even if you don't have a client you're working with. You can get in there and work with, you know, with the corporate to work on something that you don't understand. It will work. Uh, take advantage of Opsity or any other lead generating service that, that's being offered. Provided to you. Provided to you. Yeah. They're giving you clients. You just got to act on it. Exactly. They're, 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 you know, they basically send them to your phone. You know? I really like what you said that you, gotta, you can't just wait for life to come to you. You have to go out and get it. Because I think being proactive is one of the main requirements for this job is you have to be – Proactive. What about natural ambition? You think? Where does that fall in line? Like, yeah, you're, you're, let, let's let, let me ask you the exact same question I asked Brian, but through your unique perspective, because you're in a, you also do some uh, ancillary services as it relates to real estate Correct. as well, Correct. and you also have an experience uh, working in the trades. Um, if somebody's considering being a real estate agent, what's your advice to them on how they can not only do so but see success? So my advice would be to take whatever approach is reasonable to your situation. Um, there is so many different paths that people will find themselves on in life. And I think maybe not everybody can make a sudden change in their life. And I think it's important to dispel the notion that success in real estate hap can happen quickly. Or it can, it can happen quickly, but like Brian said you maybe have the acumen, you have the skills, the relationships already in place. Most people who experience early success, they've already got a lot of the preliminary ingredients. So my advice to people who want to get into real estate is to start where you're at and do what you're able to do, but understand that just because you don't have your license yet or just because you haven't gone to real estate school yet doesn't mean you can't be doing things right now. And that's what Brian says. If you really want success, you're going to go out and get it. And you're going to have to get it one little bit at a time. So buy a book, read it, play a YouTube video, listen to it, find somebody in the industry, have a conversation with them. There's a million ways to boost your success as a real estate agent. And, and many of them, you don't actually have to be a real estate agent yet in order for that to have an accumulative effect on your eventual success. So I would tell people, 
do it at your pace. If you want to do it quickly, do it quickly. And that's possible. It just requires focus and it requires dedication. But also you can you can spread it out and, and grow your skills and your knowledge, your relationships in the meantime. That, I, I mean, I just want to tell you like how much that hits home with my personal story. That's literally what I had to do. I was working at the mill. I was working 60 plus hours a week. I wanted to be in real estate. Josh, I did that. I picked up a book. That's what I did. I picked and up a book. And look at you now. Yeah, I don't know about no, that. No, so it, you literally are embodying what I'm trying, what I'm relaying yeah. to the listener is, and I don't mean to interrupt. Would no. you like to go on for No. So recently I, I was thinking that there's two different ways to approach, uh, to, to cross the gap from where you are to where you want to go. And you can build a bridge, and that's a lot more stable and predictable um, but it requires a lot longer. You know, you can build a bridge from where you are to where you want to go. Or you can jump it. Right, build a catapult. That's the way I've been looking at it. You can, use your, you can either use your resources to build a bridge or you can use your resources to build a catapult. But um, I think some people want to catapult themselves into real estate. Sure. And other people want to build that bridge. Well, and there's a lot to be said for the bridge building. Um, that's a, actually a, a mentality and a mental trick where – we always, um, it's more like our monkey brain um, and, the, and the squirrels that we constantly catch. We don't want to build too many bridges. If we're going to build a bridge, we want to put all our focus onto it. We want to recognize a goal. And actually, that's what I was hoping to do is take this all the way back to episode one, where you have to start with a goal. If you wanted to get into real estate, I see it as kind of a, I really do see it as a two-parter thing. One, there's the the unpretty education side that you need to do just to pass a test. You got to pass 90 hours of pre-licensing instruction. Then you got to pass what's notoriously known as a pretty difficult test to be a broker. You only have to do that once. Then put it in the rear view mirror. Then your practical education begins. Right. Then the mentorship begins. Then the learning by mistakes begins. And I believe that has to start with a goal. And if you have a goal um, my first year in real estate, my goal was to sell a million dollars. And I was working in the mill at the time. Um, I didn't sell my first house and I got licensed in January. I didn't sell my first house till June. But that doesn't mean I wasn't doing the work necessary to get that house. So I was constantly prospecting, you know, always be prospecting, always farming leads, Op City, um, IDX leads. Um, I didn't get my first sale till June. I sold my million dollars. Why? Because I still did the right things necessary to constantly keep filling my funnel. And that's what it takes. Just like Josh was saying, you need to be naturally ambitious. I do think it's important that you set a goal. And I love the analogy that real estate is like a freight train. It is very slow to get moving. You're doing the, the work you do today turns into money three, six months, a year down the road. Right. But if you're always doing two things, if you're always treating people the right way and doing the right things to grow your business, you should be able to create something unstoppable in just a few years' time. What do you think about that? I think that's a great, great analogy with the, the freight train. And, and that holds true because last year I sold two houses. I listed one and we bought one. Mm -hmm. And it seems like right now I'm on a tear, but I, there was a lot of work that I did from when I got my license and started to this year and and it was all laying the track work 
for the freight train to come flying through. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a dilemma, an unspoken dilemma about when you're first starting out, you don't really like to refer to your own inexperience. True. Because it feels like a setback That's to acknowledge it. You know, you're basically trying to project that you're a trustworthy, knowledgeable person. And I'm not saying um, doing that baselessly, but I'm saying people may have a, a, a pre a prejudgment about you that you're inexperienced or ignorant or naive or something. And so you kind of have to project. You have to project confidence. Right. Not, that, only, not just project confidence. I almost, Josh, I want to challenge you on the flip side of that exact question. What value... There's a ton of value that a new agent can bring to anybody. So when, when you might, somebody is out there thinking, man, I don't want to do this because I just know these first two or three deals, I got to be like, I'm brand new and I'm working with this mentor. But no, no, no. I try to teach people, you have instant value. You bring a lot to the table, not just in the network that you provide, but in the intangibles uh, that you can do before you ever meet your first client. You could, and I we should we should all get very very good at cmas before we ever see a client then you have the confidence of knowing when you do a, a comparative market analysis for somebody no here's my proof here's what the market shows i'm good at this i'm competent in this and that's out that's value you can instantly bring yeah i agree and i want to follow up on what brian said about confidence though because he's right that that confidence is such an important part of this job and that's where I think in the beginning, the new agent, that's the dilemma that I'm saying is like within, maybe the agent doesn't feel confident yet, but in order to get the clients and get the deals that are going to reinforce their confidence and justify it, they have to be able to project confidence, you know, which, and that's where mentorship and infrastructure comes in is as a, as a newer agent, you, you deal with people you don't come right out and say, hey, I'm not 100% familiar with this. You you deal with it to the best of your ability, and then you ask the right people the things that you don't know. What you don't know, when that comes up, you tell somebody, hey, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm going to ask the right person the right question, and I'll get back to you immediately. I'm going to tell you, you know, as soon as possible, the answer to your question. Well, and this and, but is, that's not a very confident standpoint, though. You know, it's hard to deliver that confidently in the beginning, in my opinion. Well, I, I mean, this is to the extreme level. My fourth house that I sold earlier this year, the deal was falling apart at the closing table because there were some things that were missing, and it was no fault of our side, but it, it was falling apart, like right there on the closing table. And <clears throat> I confidently took care of it and, and got the what information that they needed. And... My clients asked, how many houses have you sold? I told them, take guess. And, you know, their numbers were up there. I said, three. And they, they, they were flabbergasted that, you know, I was able to steer that. But that was fire in the mill training, you know. Right. You know how that goes in there, Justin, yep. uh, Brandon. That it's just, you just got to be confident and calm and, and, and be steady like a, you know, a ship in, in, a, in a rough water seas and, and keep, keep, keep moving forward. Yeah. Right. One of the things that they they say a lot about brokers in general is we wear a lot of hats. Everything from therapist to firefighter, just like you said. Um, we uh, are asked to do a lot during the course of any given deal. And having that predisposition to being flexible and accepting change 
uh, will certainly help you be a better broker. I think we would all probably agree with that. It's a, I think Josh just said it. Didn't you say roller coaster? Like it's a roller coaster. (laughs) Yeah. And in my opinion, roller coasters are actually more fun to ride. (laughs) You know, like real, the roller coaster of real estate when you're going down, you don't get that exciting feeling like you do when you're on a regular roller coaster, you know? <laughs> I love that. So uh, just uh, to wrap up, to, to kind of put a bow on this, we've been very real about what it's like to be in real estate, and I, I can't appreciate that enough, but there are so many good things. So I want to hear from each one of you your favorite thing about being in real estate, and you know, it's your reason for getting up in the morning and why you still love what you do. Go ahead, Josh. My favorite thing is the ceiling you know or lack thereof exactly you know it's like in many houses for instance i'll use this simple analogy um my house in one spot has you know a standard like eight foot ceiling and another spot a cathedral ceiling you know well i like to toss my son up and down my little baby son you know i like to toss him up and down in one part of the house i'm not able to do that you know and in the other part i am could well, it's not advisable. Exactly. No, exactly. <laughs> but so that's just how I feel about real estate is there's, you got room to stretch out, jump up and down. You know, it's like the potential is really exceeds you. It's like unlimited potential. You're not going to reach a certain point where you're like, man, I can reach further, but I'm hitting the limit. You know, I really don't think that happens in real estate. I think you hit your own limits before you reach the limits of being a real estate agent. So that's probably my favorite thing about it. I like that. Brian. I I concur with, with the ceiling. You're as successful as you can make yourself be. But I but if I'm not gonna I don't wanna mirror your answer, so I'll say that for me it's uh it's twofold here. It's it's the telling of the clients, Hey, we've sold your house and we sold it for over list or we hey the house is yours and they accepted our offer. And then uh, I, I actually do get a kick out of go, going into the other homes and, and checking them out and seeing, you know, just the layouts. You know, oh, that's a good idea. Maybe I'll do that to my place kind of, <laughs> kind of scenario, you know. I, I, I like the adventure. I, when you're locked in the same apartment and the same desk for eight hours, 12 hours a day, to be able to roam and, and go from town to town, house to house, it's, it's nice. And that's, that's probably the best part about Real estate. The adventure. The adventure. The adventure. Yeah. The, the going out and, and seeing things that yes. you don't normally see. It is an adventure. It <laughs> truly is. I know I've shared my story a couple of times, but uh, my favorite things about real estate are how well it caters to what my, my natural needs are and what I want out of a job. I, I mentioned when I had a painting company, I learned that I love people. I love my scenery always changing. Um, and I love pride and accomplishment. And real estate gives me all three of those things. Now, one of the things I love to preach about, um, if you are still, if you're considering real estate, is the exceptionally low barrier of entry. I don't care whether you take it online or whether you take it in, a, in person, my class or somebody else's class, just like Josh said, do the work and do it once and then go be great at real estate. And where else can a $600 education give you the keys to unlimited earning potential? I mean, is there another career that gives you that, that affords anybody that opportunity? No. Just like Brian said, just like Josh said, um, you have to, it helps if you're naturally ambitious. This is the hunter mentality we all kind of have to adopt. You don't eat if you don't hunt in real estate. So being a natural motivator, naturally motivated, um, which is why 
in the last episode, uh, our broker tip was what do you do to stay motivated? Sometimes that's not the easiest thing to do. So if you're out there considering real estate as a career, you need to talk to one, of th one, one or three of us, whichever one you've recognized with the most. We've given our information out there. We would absolutely love to talk to you specifically in person about what a career in real estate could look like for you. Josh, tell the people how they could get a hold of you. Yeah, so the phone number would be 219-877-4042. And the email is contact at joshuawozniak.com. And you'd love to talk to him, right? Absolutely. Awesome. Brian, how can they get a hold of you? 219-771-0187. Love it. Yep. Call me anytime. Text, whatever. So what what I love about this buying with Brian buying with Brian is all three of us sit here and have these conversations and but we all believe in what we do we're, we're not putting on faces here yeah we may be selling at the highest level but this is a passion of all three of ours and we would love to talk to anybody who might be considering this as an option for a career full or part time um, and to tell you a little bit more about you know our stories and how it goes yeah I mean it. it I would be willing to do a podcast on all the failures that I've had just to put it yep. out there. If someone really wanted to know how, you know, the highs and lows, right. You know, we tend to talk about the highs a lot because it's what, how we are rewarded, but there are lows, but it's not that bad. It's what you make it. It's what you make it. I like that. And if you wanted to get a hold of me, uh, 219-225-2000 or listingleadersacademy at gmail.com. Thank you guys. This has been a really great episode. I was I, I very much enjoyed getting to do it with just you two without a special guest. We may have somebody else join us next week, but um, this is just like I said, it's a topic I know we're all very familiar with, uh, we're all very passionate about, and I really appreciate your guys' insight. Anytime, Thank man. you, sir. Likewise. Nice. All right, till next time. Bye. Thank you for listening all the way to the end of this special episode of the Listing Leaders Podcast. As always, we appreciate you. We appreciate your recommendation. And until next time, take care of yourself and each other.